up everybody welcome to the grabs podcast if you're listening to this you probably already know what we do here but in case you stumbled in here this is your first one you're hearing our goal is simple it's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fire ground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit more effective and more efficient our guest tonight uh, who i'm super stoked about is firefighter ryan fitzgerald from the mankato minnesota fire department and we're uh, we can't wait to hear from his experience and learn from his experience so why don't we get after it ryan how you doing man good thanks for having me yeah, man, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come in here and, and spread the love. Yeah, no why problem. You, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far? Yeah, so I've been uh, in the fire service, I think right around 11 years now, nine of them being as a career firefighter. Um, just kind of got into firefighting in college. I was a resident firefighter, kind of got bit by the bug, realized I want to do it as a career. Um, started testing, got hired um, with my current department. Um, you know, we're... They have us as, you know, hazmat specialists, tech rescue um, specialists as well. So, it's, you know, we're kind of a, an all-hazards department. So a lot of our time, it's kind of been my journey is developing different skills. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a cool journey so far. Excellent. And why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Mankato Fire Department? Yeah, so we're, we're a combo department. Uh, we got about 18 career members and I'd say around 50 Additional members uh, between uh, part-time, paid on call, resident firefighters. Um, cities, about 40,000 or 50,000. Um, for a permanent population, we'll hit about 100,000 during the weekdays um, with school and uh, with businesses. And yeah, the department we're running, I think, including like calls that were canceled too as well, we're running about 3,400 calls a year, um, just all hazards, fire, medical, hazmat, rescue. Okay. And how about when you guys get tapped out to a fire, uh, single family dwelling, what's your first alarm consist of? Uh, so yeah, first alarm during the day, um, we're only staffing one engine. Um, right now it's a minimum staff of four career firefighters plus the battalion chief that's in uh, a suburban. Um, and that's, that is our first alarm assignment. That's it. Um, if, it, if, if we're called out for a working fire, something that sounds like it could be um, legitimate, we'll automatically do a page in for all off duty, full-time, part-time, paid on call members. Um, and then we can also hit mutual aid as well if we need it. Um, at night, we, you know, on occasion or most time we'll open a second station. So we'll have on the first large assignment at night, we'll have uh, two apparatus um, inbound of the fire. Okay, so you said current staffing right now, current minimum staffing right now. Is that during kind of the COVID-19 pandemic or is that just for the past couple of years? Um, that is just for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we've, we've been running the minimum for um, um, since about March. Uh, prior to that, we don't have any minimum staffing clause. We'll drop down to two on an engine during the day. Um, and then at night, we could have between um, – two engines of two, or we could have a total of 10 personnel out to stations, just depending on, on the schedules and, and who's staffing or working that night. Okay. So your first alarm to kind of your, your ceiling and your floor for number of firefighters is currently probably including chiefs five for your floor and upwards of like 10 or 11 for your ceiling. Is that 
pretty active. I would say on, on the absolute perfect day, we'd have 10 or 11. Um, but especially since the pandemic, we are set at five personnel, no matter what, um, unless we do an, a, a callback page for other people to come in. Gotcha. So what is, uh, and this one's a little bit nebulous, but what's the search culture within your department like? So who typically searches and how do you prioritize search? So the, just with our staffing, um, the initial tech company on that engine is going to be searched no matter what. Um, the only times we'll stray away from that is if we do have two apparatus and service at night or we have some extra people during the day, um, we'll split um, for attack and search. But, you know, the culture is more often than not, um, we're going to be doing oriented search. It's going to be an attack team of two. Um, we're going to usually just stretch a dry line in if it's a deep-seated fire and uh, the nozzle firefighter will keep advancing and the search firefighter will be branching off hitting rooms um, as we make our way through the structure. Um, that's just what we've been doing with, you know, minimum amount of people. Um, and we've just been covering on the ground that way. Okay. How about your search training? What's that look like in a typical year? Is that something you guys hit annually or does it take every couple of years for you to kind of circle back to search or what's that look like in your department? I'd say we're, we're at least hitting it annually um, department wide. I would, I would more be more confident to say semi-annually and then just on shifts, we'll do little drills during the day on shift and at night. And um, we do, we do address it. Um, but you know, like anywhere else, we could always be doing more. Yeah, fair enough. There. Can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made? I know you've actually personally made multiple rescues, but can you tell us a little bit about the rescue that you made that we're going to discuss today, the VES rescue? Uh, what was the date? Yeah. What was the time of day? Uh, what was it dispatched as? Were there reports of any victims? And then, kind of what happened when you got on scene? All right. Yeah. So, um, like you said, this one was a VES. Um, it was. It was pretty unique because uh, we had no staffing that day. Um, we only had uh, two firefighters on, it was on a quint that day. It was the driver operator, then myself up in the officer spot. Um, and then we had a battalion chief in his suburban and then also administrative personnel. We had a chief and also an off-duty battalion lieutenant or battalion chief that was there. Um, so the initial call came in, we were actually doing confined space training um, down in the apparatus bay. Uh, and it, it, the, the call came in just for a, a residential fire smoke showing. Um, really, I don't think there's anything unique about the initial dispatch. Um, we just started doing our turnout. And um, before the, the, the truck went in route, uh, dispatch came over and said that they had a victim on the line who was trapped on the second floor and couldn't self-extricate or self-escape. So before we went in route, we knew um, you know, it was gonna be a little bit, a little bit more than what we thought. Uh, so the battalion chief was first on scene um, and actually encountered a second victim that was disoriented, that had exited the structure out of the alpha side and was actually walking back into the structure. Um, I think his, from his knees or ankles down, still visible in the structure, the battalion chief got on scene, reached in really quick, grabbed the victim and pulled him out um, to some awaiting. I think police officers were already there. Um, and at that point he, we were in the, the truck was in route. Um, and then dispatch came over the line again and said, uh, we've got an open line with the second floor victim. She is no longer responding to us. And so it was, things were progressing pretty quickly. I think our, our, from the time the dispatch came through to when the battalion chief was on scene was maybe two minutes. Uh, I, I can't remember what our, the, the truck's response time was, but um 
the township gave the assignment uh, for me to do a solo search uh, without a hose line to uh, enter through the first floor to try to locate the stairs, get to the second floor to locate the victim. Uh, you know, at that time, just with our, the, the personnel and, and what we were faced against, I was already kind of thinking VES. Um, I had never done it on actual fire, but it's kind of one of those worst case scenarios I was thinking of, and it, it was kind of lining up here. Um, so I kind of repeated myself, and he said, no, I want you to go on the first floor. Uh, so we arrived, and it was uh, like a, just an old uh, balloon frame twin home or duplex. Uh, it, I think the one floor was maybe roughly 800 square feet, um, and it was the more the Bravo side unit had smoke showing from it. There was a, a good amount of smoke showing for the first floor. Um, made contact with the town chief, um, you know, made radio kind of say, I'm making entry. Uh, just went in with a set of irons and, um, thermal camera. And at that time I could still kind of see the floor. There's maybe a smoke was banked maybe down a foot from the floor. Uh, could really see a lot of fire off to my right. And, um, and I hadn't been in this, this specific building before. And I hadn't been into any of these in Mankato. It was kind of a unique layout. So I wasn't really sure where the, the stairs were. Um, so I started, started my search to where I thought the stairs would be located. Um, until the fire was growing. And I, I worked my way, I think, through the family room, dining room, um, something of that nature, and got back into the kitchen um, and realized quick that the, the stairs weren't in that part of the structure. And then uh, the fire was you know, exponentially getting bigger. Um, I kind of noticed that I had like a black band on my helmet that was holding a wedge and like a flashlight or something like that. And I heard it and kind of saw it pop off my head, my, my helmet. I'm like, okay, things are maybe getting pretty hot. Um, started getting really uncomfortable, kind of made my way back to where I began. Um, thinking about maybe, maybe abandoning the search. Um, and then, you know, it started to get really hot, um, really uncomfortable. And I started kind of seeing that telltale just ghosting around me. There's just little areas um, that were just kind of auto igniting around, around my mask and helmet and, and just called off the search immediately. Um, it wasn't at that point, I didn't think it was even, even feasible to get to the stairs. Um, and so I went face to face with, um, with the battalion chief. They just stretched a dry line to the front door to make entry and let them know I couldn't find the ladder or I couldn't find the stairs and I was just going to ladder the structure. So that was the extent of the, the first floor search, which maybe lasted about a minute and a half, if that. Okay, so you make contact with the, the two battalion chiefs. They're getting ready to, they stretch their line, getting ready to advance in. And you're going back to the truck to grab a ladder, presumably. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, so, yeah, they were, they were about ready to get the line charged. Um, I, we were lucky because we were running the truck that day. Um, so we had obviously had a larger complement of ground ladders than we normally would have on the engine. Um, so turned around and just did a couple seconds size up, um, try to figure out what window I was going to hit. And at that point, um, you know, granted this is maybe a minute and a half, two minutes from arrival. Um, there was already, um, a lot of fire cell venting from the front door and the two, um, alpha side windows. And the, the flames were impinging on the, the windows directly above them on the second floor. So the outside, I, I wasn't able to ladder there just, just due to the, the, the flame impingement. But um, there's a window kind of in the Alpha Bravo corner 
um, that was directly above uh, the first floor window that was starting to self-vent, uh, but it was just a little bit of flame. It was kind of the only option. Um, that was the only window that, that essentially could be laddered. Um, so I just grabbed, I think it was a 16 foot roof ladder, um, made my way over and, and just threw it to the still. Um, it was a really tight area. There was an exposure structure on the Bravo side, made it really, really tight to get the ladder angle right. Um, there's some landscaping debris. So it wasn't the easiest, um, wasn't the easiest throw. Uh, started climbing the ladder um, with, uh, I think I had a thermal flathead axe. Um, at that point, I think the chief had assumed incident command and was aware that I was going up the ladder. Um, and then vented the window and um, a lot of high pressure smoke came out. Um, it caught me off guard actually, you know, it felt, felt like it physically moved me back. Um, you know, just created a pretty bad flow path right there when, when the window got vented. Um, and then just started trying to clear the window, the sill, you know, curtains. Um, there's a lot of furniture and debris in the room, so it was hard to get a really good sound on the floor. Um, you know, I kind of sweep. I knew there wasn't a victim there just due to the, the furniture, but um, felt like there was a little delay there just because I couldn't get a good feel of what was going on in the room. Um, and then uh, once there was, the floor was good, got a good sound. Um, ended up just kind of sliding in head first. And um, what was kind of kind of neat is that dispatch, um, like I said before, they kept the open line with the victim. Um, they didn't they didn't hang up, even though the victim at that point had probably been um, I had probably been unresponsive for about three and a half minutes, um, four minutes, and they heard me vent the room and slide in, and they could hear I think hear me breathing, uh, and said I was in the right room. So it was kind of cool because um, we had no idea where she was on the, the the second floor, but dispatch was able to you know, kind of confirm um, I was in the right area. Just started a right-hand search um, and ended up finding the victim. And I, I think she was maybe partially on the bed, partially on the floor. I don't, not not really remembering. I mean, it the thermal was pretty useless just due to the, the smoke conditions. Um, I'd have it right up against my mask and I couldn't, couldn't make anything out. So um, it was just a straight up, just kind of old-fashioned hand search. And so, um, got her and then and, and made contact dispatch knew I had the victim and just started trying to drag her back to the windowsill to get her into a better environment. Okay and how big do you think the victim was? Uh, I'd say the victim was probably uh, close to 250 somewhere around there. Um, it, uh, it's the best best estimate I could give. Okay so you, you grabbed the victim pulled her off the bed, brought her to the windowsill. And at that point, is there somebody from the outside that's, that's going to meet you at the sill? Yeah. So one of the uh, battalion chiefs, um, they were aware that the victim had been found and I was moving her. Um, and he broke off the attack line on the first floor and then climbed the ladder. Um, you know, just did a quick face to face. We had to kind of communicate. I had to move the victim to let him in. Um, Cause he was, he, he said he wanted to help lift her out of the window. So we get situated, and then the attack line um, was abandoned. The second battalion chief um, came back and climbed the ladder to retrieve the victim. Okay, so assumedly at this point, if they're they're abandoning the attack line, they already got a knock on that fire. Is that fair to assume? Yeah, it was um, it was a good knock on the first floor. Um, however, the the origins in the basement, so the basement was still going, and we weren't really sure about that because it was a it was a, a basement that didn't have a lot of windows. There wasn't a lot of um, 
um, outside um, hints that there was a raging fire in the basement. It was just coming up through the first floor as well. So yeah, the first floor was, was in check, but it was still conditions weren't the best. Okay. So basement. Uh, so it sounds like it was balloon frame. It was a duplex. And then for those unfamiliar with this part of the country, that's not abnormal to have basements from that time period that have very few windows just because it gets so darn cold here in the winter. Uh, what time of year was this fire again? So this was, uh, I think one of the, it was the first week of February in 2017, right around like 10 or 11 in the morning. It was like a Tuesday, I think. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So a couple things that that popped into my head is that's some pretty darn good battalion chiefing as well. Um, getting a knock on that first, those stretching, advancing and flowing water coming outside and then helping with the grab as well. So that's some pretty good BC. And so kudos to you guys for having some, some pretty awesome battalion chiefs. Yeah, this, this battalion chief, he, uh, I've worked with him for almost my whole career. Um, we've got a pretty, pretty similar kind of outlook and, and, and kind of aggressive nature. And so, yeah, I think he's on board. He's like, just, just stop the problem, get some, get some water on the fire, buy us some time, and and do what we can with the personnel we have. So yeah, he I, yeah, he did a great job. Okay, there's there's a lot that I want to mine in here, but I want to make sure that we try to keep this under 30 minutes as well. Um, the first thing that kind of popped into my head, going back to this battalion chief, I don't know which one it was, but uh, when the first battalion chief arrived on scene, or they arrived together, I think there was yep. a second victim who was outside and was heading back inside. Was he going in for the rescue? Was he smoke drunk and just kind of out of it? Do we know anything? Smoke drunk. Smoke yeah, smoke drunk. Not like he walked right back in and just stalled and just stood in the smoke. Okay. And that, yeah. So we couldn't get any information from him. We couldn't ask who else was inside and where they're at. He was no help there. Is that fair? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Uh, you also mentioned that you brought a thermal imaging camera up to the uh, window on Division 2. Was that any help for you? Absolutely not. Um, and I'm not going to knock a, a, a thermal camera. I mean, it's helped, helped me out personally a lot in the past. I mean, I think that they've definitely have their place, especially in search, but in, in the smoke conditions, it was, it was essentially just a paperweight for me. It was just, it was essentially keeping one of my hands from getting freed up. So it was not useful at all in the search. Okay. Gotcha. Um, if there was a lesson learned in this, is there something that, that you learned, you look back on this fire and you're like, wow, I'm really glad that I did this or next time I want to make sure that I do that or any lesson learned that you want to pass or any lessons that you want to pass on to our listeners here? Yeah, definitely. Um, the biggest thing um, is get that door shut. Um, you've got to shut that door right away. I know it's, it's preached a lot and talked a lot, but like I said, this is my BS um, and I happen to find victim before I found the door and just focus on getting the victim out. I, I think if, um, or I wouldn't say, I think I know that if I thought I'd gotten that door shut, it would have made it a heck of a lot more tenable for us up there. It would, you know, to help the victim, um, and really help visibility. You know, I go back to one of my buddies, uh, he's our big department up in Canada had a, a fatal VES, I think it was maybe two years ago. And, and he talked about, um, entering the second floor and couldn't see anything and all of a sudden the door shut and just due to that environment he like the smoke just the layers just completely lifted and we could see everybody and the victims across the room clear as day you know so it does make that much of a difference um, so yeah the, the big thing to take away is just get that door shut as fast as possible um, and you know make sure you're searching with your hands you know I, I still see people that that use hand tools you know to reach out and kind of sweep a room you know, and I don't think, I personally don't think you could tell 
the difference between a, a victim and like a big pile of dirty laundry when you're poking it with, you know, a flathead or, or a handle of a hand tool, you know, use your hands. I mean, you'll, you'll know, you'll know when you find the victim when you got your hands on. Solid advice there. Um, I want to make sure that I don't do a disservice to our listeners here. For those who don't know, uh, Ryan is a legitimate beast. Um, you are a former world record holder for the firefighter combat challenge. And can you tell us what, what role your physical fitness uh, and your physical abilities and attributes uh, lent itself towards this rescue? Yeah, the, you know, you know, and I know we've talked before, but I'm not by any means the most intelligent person on the apparatus, you know, and so I, I've always really tried to work hard on my physical conditioning just so I could focus on like the really technical stuff and, 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 and a lot of the skill-based things. Um, and so, you know, long story short, I had been doing the combat challenge since maybe 13 or 14, um, had a rescue short after um, I started the combat challenge and then really started taking training and, you know, physical fitness seriously because I saw how much work that first rescue I had was. And so I just started really, really hitting it hard, um, training a lot on air um, with different, you know, dummy drags, things like that. And now with, with that VES rescue, um, I never, never really was concerned or worried once the victim was found. Um, it, it never, you know, the weight of the victim, where the victim was located, anything like that, it was never an issue. You know, I was more worried about, okay, how are we going to get her out? What are the conditions doing? And I think it all comes down to just physical conditioning. I mean, by no means am I even close to ever being a pro athlete or anything like that, but anybody can do it. Anybody can work out in, in the at bay, in your gear, you know, grab things around the station. That's all it takes. You just got to get comfortable on air. You got to get comfortable and just, you know, dragging things on the ground that, that aren't rigid like Rescue Randy. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Has this fire changed your mindset towards the job, how you train, or how you search? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, it one it kind of builds your confidence because now now you've done a VES, you, you understand I'd say just a few of the basics what to expect, but um, it rewrote the book on me for survivability for victims. Um, I you know after that I, I'm I'm more of a believer that unless there's flames blowing out of a bedroom, it's still going to be a survival space. Um, I don't know how this victim survived. Um, it was really uncomfortable just for us on that second floor. Um, but it, it really, really, I guess it made me more optimistic on searches that, you know, as long as there's not heavy flame involvement in that room, it's still a survivable space and we have to get in there now and search it. Yeah, that's a really solid point right now. Um, and I think something that, that we would all do to uh, heed your message here. Uh, it's important for all of us to listen to that. Yeah. Um, those that, that, uh, that are familiar with Ryan and, and this rescue, there is some video, there's a local news agency that made it on scene shortly after you guys arrived and actually saw you guys uh, bringing the patient outside the window. Uh, we're gonna do our best to either get pictures and still shots from that video posted here in the show notes or potentially even that video if the news agency is okay with that. Uh, so hopefully not only did we paint a picture with, with Ryan's interview, but also you can actually see this firsthand as well. Uh, so we're going to try to get that out to everybody as well. Uh, Ryan, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate your time. Um, for all the listeners, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey. That's one survey per rescue. 
so that we can all get smarter, better, and faster. And if you make a grab and want to share your experience with all of our listeners, please reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ledeen, and we'll try to record an episode. Uh, thank you so much, Ryan, and everyone else who's listening to this. Take care, everybody. Yeah.